Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's NFL podcast. With me today are Danny Kelly and Stephen White. Coming up a little later on the show today, we're going to have PFT Commoner. I think he's probably scrambling to get his taxes done, so we'll... Uh, <laughs> well, well, whatever, whatever that entails, I don't know if I don't know if PFT Commenter pays taxes, but I, I'm going to ask him. That, so. uh, that would surprise me a lot, actually. And if you couldn't have, and if you didn't glean that from the uh, that fine introduction I just provided there, it's uh, today is Tuesday, April 14th. Um, the draft is right around the corner, so we've got a lot to talk about, and uh, we're going to jump right in here. How are you doing today, guys? Doing well. Great. Excellent. Do you guys, uh, you guys got your taxes all taken care of? I did, yes. Absolutely. All right. I, I had to scramble at the last minute today. I had them done like a couple of weeks ago, and then like I get a call. It's like, uh, I was just going to do it myself, but like my wife's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no way. Last time we did that, I don't think it. I don't think it worked out the way it was supposed to. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. So. <laughs> so I had him done and the guy calls me, at, you know, like, hey, can you bring this, you know, the paperwork for like, you know, because my son was in daycare last year. So it's like a preschool, whatever. And you take it and we know where you get the tax credit for that. And so I had to take in the tax papers for that, which I conveniently have had two weeks to do. So, of course, I did it this morning. <laughs> nice. Always timely. So but that's tax day, you know. And speaking of taxes, how's that for a segue? Speaking of taxes. <laughs> Michael Crabtree's tax tax uh, tax form next year is going to look a little different because it's going to have some different information in the employer line. It's going to say Oakland Raiders instead of San Francisco 49ers. That was an amazing segue. Wow. <laughs> so, I, you know, that's that's Olympic pivoting right there. Man. Um, so Oakland Raiders signed Michael Crabtree. Free agency has been kind of dead for a while. We haven't had a lot of action in free agency and probably won't have much action until after the draft and after the, you know, the May 12th deadline comes and goes so teams don't have to give up comp- compensatory picks for those guys. But um, the Michael Crabtree, the Raiders thing, his thoughts on that? It took him a while to decide. He had several teams kind of in the mix, it sounded like, and, they, and he settled on the Raiders. Thoughts on that, fellas? Well, I think it's a good signing for the Raiders. Um, uh, here's a guy that still has outstanding hands, runs pretty good routes. He's lost a step since he had that uh, foot surgery. I think everybody can kind of agree on that. But he's still a quality wide receiver and a guy that I think can become kind of a security blanket mm. uh, with Derek Carr, with a young quarterback. One of the things about their guys last year that I saw is that they had some guys who can make big plays at wide receiver but their hands were very inconsistent. And, you know, your quarterback's back there taking a penalty and he throw the, throws a perfect pass and you can't catch it, that really kind of messes with his confidence. And so now you got a guy in Crabtree who, if you throw the ball in his vicinity, he usually has a good chance to come down with it. So I, I like it. I think it's a good move for them. It, yeah, it surprised me how little interest he was actually getting on the open market. Maybe he, he his number in his mind was too high or something like that, but... It was a little surprising the 49ers didn't try harder to keep him and um, that he really didn't seem to have that many suitors because, yeah, I, I agree with Steven. I think it's a good signing, and I think he's still a good player. <clears throat> you know, I think uh, Seahawks fans in, in general, because in my neck of the woods, always talk about how he's a mediocre <laughs> guy because of the whole Sherman thing. But um, I think he's a good player, and, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh, 
you know, he's a little bit into hyperbole and said he has the greatest hands of all time or something like that. But I think, you know, he really does. He's a, he's a good hands catcher. He's, he's a big target. Um, you know, he's, he's a savvy veteran at this point in his career. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a good signing for them and, and get pair him with a young quarterback that they're trying to develop. I think, it, you know, to me, one of the things that's interesting, I was reading on our, our Raiders blog this morning when I was putting together the, the rise and grind thing was that it, they had a pretty good post on kind of what it means for the Raiders. I mean, you know, not to get weighed down in the philosophical implications of adding Michael Crabtree, but you know, the, the most interesting thing to me is what this does for the Raiders in the draft. Now, obviously this is just sort of based on what we've seen in, in the predictions and projections and trying to read the tea leaves. But, you know, Amari Cooper is a guy that's been mocked to the Raiders a lot. And obviously, I mean, you know, fits a need, given what that, you know, to, to kind of build out that core offensive nucleus for them. But now with Crabtree, it changes that a little bit. Obviously, he's not a number one type guy anymore. He's not your your stud superstar receiver, and I think it, Steven really nailed it. It's He's a good, reliable security blanket. Good hands for a young quarterback like Derek Carr. But now you've got this question, all right, does it? how much does it change or does it change what they do with the fourth pick in the draft? And I kind of wonder now just – if they're still in the receiver mode, that draft or receiver mode, does this maybe bump someone like Kevin White up there for him? Does does that put him more in play? Because obviously, I think Amari Cooper is obviously he's a you know he's a better guy, he's a younger guy than than Crabtree at this point in his career. But you know, I wonder if you need that. You know, if you have a reliable pass catcher like Crabtree, then that opens it up and gives you a little more flexibility in you know, drafting somebody like Kevin White that's or even going into the second round and looking for a raw receiver with that kind of high upside, big play kind of potential if they, you know, if they opt to stay at number four in the first round and go with maybe, you know, Fowler or Leonard Williams or somebody like that. Yeah, it allows them to potentially take a little bit more of a risk, you know, because Cooper's always, he's sort of looked at as the safest uh, receiver in this draft, a guy who you're going to know is going to catch balls for you and, and be a good player. But then this maybe allows them to swing for the fences a little bit more. And like you said, kind of go for the guy that has more upside, but you know, has maybe a lower, a lower floor. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely an interesting way of putting it. And also just stylistically, like maybe now they want to get someone who's going to be a downfield threat, you know, the Kevin white runs a four, three, five, you know, maybe that's something that they're looking for instead. So it's definitely an interesting thing. I think that just goes to the, they're giving themselves options in the draft. They're not like pigeonholing themselves into doing one thing or having to, you know, take a certain type of player or else come out of the draft, like feeling like they, they really missed out. Yeah. I totally agree with, with what Danny said. Um, It just gives you, the ability to to now take that best player available that we always talk about. Yeah. Uh, you, you're not like the Buccaneers right now. They have to pretty much take a quarterback. Uh, there's no two ways about it. I think if you talk to quite a few talent evaluators, I know one guy mentioned to me today, they don't necessarily have Jameis Winston as a top player in the draft, but when you need a quarterback, you have to reach and, and take a quarterback with the number one pick in the draft regardless. Yeah. So uh, that just gives them the ability to not have to do that, to reach for a guy there. And, you know, you know it could expand their horizons. Maybe now they look at purely the p- best player available, even if they already have a guy playing their position, 
Whereas before, they would have kind of had to, you know, go towards Amari Cooper or one of these guys. Uh, we know Al Davis probably would have wanted Kevin White for sure. <laughs> if not, if not, sure <laughs> but you know, uh, for once they get to get their best player available, and that's not something that's been a trait of these Raiders teams. No, no, and this is a good, I mean, this is sort of that slow progression that I, you know, and, I, and I've been critical of Reggie McKenzie in the past, and I didn't, wasn't a huge fan of what they did in free agency last year, but you know, then you kind of read the reports out this year about, you know, they didn't necessarily. They, they were more hamstrung in free agency, not just because, A, it's harder to sign guys and convince them to come to the Raiders, but it's also tougher to convince guys to come to the Raiders when, you know, the financial situation with that team isn't isn't just outstanding and they don't always have the money to put into that, you know, that equity account to kind of, you know, for the guarantee, to keep the guaranteed money set aside for, you know, for a, a guy like, you know, in Damian where you've got to, you know, you've got to put $60 million in a lockbox and keep it there for him, and, and, you know, because it's it's guaranteed money and you don't want Mark Davis out buying white jeans or anything with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, and that's interesting. I, the, I noticed I was just looking at our latest mock draft from Dan Kadar, who does our mock drafts for us, is uh, the editor at Mocking the Draft. They have Leonard Williams, and this is a guy we're going to talk about a little later on the show because Steven just did a fantastic breakdown of the USC defensive lineman. But they have Leonard Williams going to the Raiders, and I think that's, you know, speaks to that ability to for the Raiders now to kind of have shored up some needs with Crabtree and some of their other moves this offseason, and they can kind of come in and and uh, and uh, and if if Williams is there, it's it would certainly be hard to pass him up, and and it'd be a good fit for what they're trying to do on that defense, and maybe give them a little bit of a you know you put Khalil Mack and Leonard Williams out there on the field together, and suddenly you know you've got a little better shot of winning some games in the uh, AFC West, even if the division is still a little more out of reach. But uh, I'd be awfully surprised if Williams fell past the Jags at three. But we we will we will see we will see we've got a uh, we've got a lot of. A lot of time to consider what's going to happen in the draft. All right, let's move on. I don't want to dwell too much on news because I'm really excited to talk more about Leonard Williams. Um, Russell Wilson contract situation in Seattle. What's the latest on that, Danny? Sounds like it's still kind of an ongoing thing, if that. Yeah, that. I mean, basically, you know, uh, Mike Florio over at Pro Football Talk has reported that there's nothing to report. Um, you know, <laughs> classic Florio. <laughs> So I guess according to his source, you know, they're talking, but there's not really much, much, you know, progress going on. And both sides have sort of intimated that they want to get it done before the season starts. But um, there's not really a ton of urgency. And, you know, as Andrew Brandt likes to say, uh, deadlines for action. So I I just, you know, it's not really that big of a deal to me that that nothing's happened yet. The Seahawks um, have a lot of options in terms of they could, you know, and this is something that Mike Florio was talking about today is they could actually, you know, franchise tag him three times. And uh, so, you know, there's no threat really that Russell Wilson's going to be leaving Seattle at this point. And so um, it's really just much ado about nothing. I think at this point it's, uh, you know, they're, they're out in Hawaii right now training and, um, and, you know, I don't think they're going to get anything done before the draft. I think the goal is to get something done before the season starts. But mm-hmm. even that is not like, you know, the most urgent thing ever. Sure. So, yeah, th- there's not a whole lot going on with that other than he's I think he's trying to become the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And um, I think the Seahawks obviously have sort of made these uh, veiled 
comments about him taking taking a team friendly deal, and they're probably going to try to meet somewhere in the middle. But um, but yeah, so nothing new really in that, other than nothing's happened. <laughs> is there? I mean, is there? There's, is there even any question that the guy? I mean, just you know, back the truck up and and pay him what he's going to. It's a quarterback. It's hard enough to find a quarterback, and you've got a good one. You know. Sign, yeah. up, sign the sign the family farm over to him if that's what it takes at this point. Yeah, everybody talks about. I think people try and split hairs a little bit too much when it comes to like, is he worth twenty something million a year? And I'm just like, yeah, you, I mean, sure, if you want to go like spend the next ten years trying to find a quarterback, that 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 would be another way of going about it. Um, but yeah, just I mean, honestly, obviously, you don't want to like overpay him ridiculously, but he's gonna get. He's going to get top quarterback money regardless, so you might as well. Just, right now, I think they're just like, there's no real impetus to get it done. There's no real like stress to get it done. So right now, they're still trying to like kind of squeeze, you sure. know, t- just the the last little tiny bit of leverage they can, and and you know, I guess maybe not pay him twenty eight million dollars a year, more like uh, whatever it's going to be twenty two, twenty three. So. It'll get done, though. It's interesting, too, because you're going to have an Andrew Luck contract extension coming up around yeah. the same time, too. I mean, they picked yeah. up his fifth-year option, sort of a no-brainer. So, you know, they have Luck under contract for this year and next. So I guess that gives them a little bit of breathing room. But obviously those two guys are probably going to be, you know, they deserve Jay Cutler money at the very least, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, it's like the, it's sort of the, the NFL contract thing is, like, you get to enjoy being the highest-paid player – in the league for a couple of months and then someone else is going to get the night, you know, a bigger paycheck. And so I think like Wilson will be the highest paid quarterback for a little while. And then, you know, luck will become that. And then who knows down the line, a couple other guys will overtake him. So Andy Dalton, you never know. Man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, exactly. still, you still got Cam out there too. They still got to redo his contract. That's right. right? That's yeah. right. Uh, I just think sometimes you play with fire, you know, sometimes, it's a no-brainer. We know that they're, they're going to re-sign Russell Wilson. Sometimes you, you, you try to negotiate so much, even when you know you, you really shouldn't, and then you look up and the guys don't want another Super Bowl. Yeah. You look at this yeah. Seahawks team, there hasn't been much turnover, uh, which is not normal. Usually, you know, you win the Super Bowl, a bunch of guys leave, and then probably a bunch of guys leave the next year too. Y'all, they still have all those core guys. And you have Russell Wilson. Now you got Jimmy Graham. Look, yeah. if you think the price tag is high, is high now, let them win another Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, good yeah. luck. Good luck trying to pay them in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that's kind of what too. I mean, this is sort of there's Seattle's negotiated a few. Con- I mean, it seems like this has sort of become for as great of a reputation, deservedly so, as Seattle's personnel side in the front office has there. They sort of get into this with their contracts, with their with their top guys. I mean, you look at the Marshawn Lynch situation, how it was sort of it's back and forth in the media for a little bit. And, like, you have that, you know, with Russell Wilson even, you know, oh, well, I'm going to keep baseball open as an option. God. So yeah. it's sort of they, they sort of have that. They dilly-dally a little bit with their big guys when they know it's like, man, you just need to you just need to lock them up because you could franchise Russell Wilson for three years in a row and he could it's fine. Why would he complain? Because it's guaranteed money. But from a team perspective, you know, then you're looking at $26, $27 million cap hits when you can pay him $26, 27000000 million a year but do it in a way under a contract that he's not costing you that much against the cap for when you need to re-sign, you know, the other core players on that team that come and go. 
Yeah. Hey, I, I don't know. I don't know about the whole franchising thing anyway, because we are talking about a guy as much as we joke about it that does have a fallback plan. Oh yeah. You know, he can he can legitimately go to baseball. He he went out there and hit a you know his spring train or whatever, but he still hit a home run. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, you go out there and try to hit a home run at your your, your neighborhood go kart place. You know they got the little <laughs> uh, 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 batting cages and stuff. Go see how hard it is to hit a home run now, and think about that that kid. He's smart. I, I love that about him. He's keeping his options open. But look, he's going to want guaranteed money. I don't care how much he makes in a one-year franchise tag. Nobody wants those because, yeah. you look, you get hurt, you're done. You got paid well that one year, but for the future, you're done. Yeah. And so he wants his future taken care of. And, and I can see that getting real nasty. If it ever got to the point, where a franchise tag was even in, uh, uh, in play at all, that's when I can see it getting real nasty. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to get to that, honestly. I think the Seahawks, right. you know, right now they're still in negotiation phase, so neither side really wants to, you know, concede anything at this point. But in terms of the way the Seahawks have gone about their business and, and signing, you know, their, like, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas to, to big deals, like, they follow a timeline. Um, you know, they go through the normal free agency, they get their secondary free agency, they go through the draft. And then, um, you know, after that, that's when they take care of their own guys and, and sign them to contract extensions. So, you know, John Schneider talked about that recently. It's kind of, I think that's just sort of the, the mode they're in. Like right now they're worried about the draft. They're not really putting a whole lot of time into re-signing Russell Wilson after the draft. They're going to be able to spend a lot more time on that, and, and I, I imagine that they'll get it done, and they'll make him the highest-paid quarterback. So both sides will be happy. Yeah, and understandably so. But uh, hey, speaking of quarterbacks, let's go to the hottest, craziest quarterback <laughs> trade rumor of the day. I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying of the spring. I'm just saying of the day here. Uh, the, the San Diego Chargers, Marcus Mariota, Phillip Rivers stuff is kind of boiling up again today. You had... Kevin Acey from the San Diego Tribune, San Diego Union Tribune, rather, um, published a column today, my column sort of thing today. That was a, <laughs> It wasn't really a hot take. It was just sort of, you know, if the Chargers believe Mariota's their guy, they should deal, they shouldn't hesitate to deal Rivers. And, and the thing that I think a lot of people are probably overlooking in all the conversation about this is that Rivers hasn't shown... Uh, just a tremendous willingness to sign a contract extension, and he's in. You know, he's at. The, he's also at that age where you know his retirement's going to be a consideration, and uh, he's only under contract for this is his last season under contract in San Diego. I had heard that he didn't want to play in L.A. Do you, do we know why that is? I think that has more to do with the Chargers leaving. Okay. Um, and I think that's you know he he, he doesn't want to come back if the team moves to L.A. I don't necessarily know why that would be. That's because he's situated in as big of an issue. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess that's the case. But, but um, you know, it's also been that's also been good for fans in San Diego too. They're trying to kind of rally to keep the team there. But, yeah, uh, it adds a whole other layer of fun to that situation. And I don't wonder if the trade talk is a little bit, um, you know, public negotiating from the Chargers standpoint. Is there? I mean, what do you guys yeah. think? Is there anything to this? I mean, what's your opinion to this? Are we just? Is it a total waste of time well, to even be talking about I, it? Here's what I say. I, I, my question would be: Yeah, we can see it uh, plausibly from San Diego's side, but why on earth would the Titans entertain this? Yeah. I, I, I can't. I've been struggling with trying to come up with a reason why a franchise 
that has been downtrodden for this long would hitch their wagon to a quarterback that's on his way out of the league instead of, if they're going to get a quarterback, go ahead and get the young star from California, with the, you know, uh, got the dynamite smile, maybe doesn't have a great personality, but <laughs> it's going to be a star probably. You know, this kid yeah. is athletic. He's he's a uh, Heisman Trophy winner, all this great stuff. Why wouldn't you hit your wagon to him instead of a, a guy who's on his last legs? It's not like the Titans are one player away, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think anybody's fooling themselves and saying, oh, man, Phil Rivers come, and all of a sudden uh, Vegas is going to have them uh, 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 favored to win the Super Bowl. Of course not. Of course not. So <laughs> why would you uh, – now, look, the Titans are kind of wacky, you know, the, the whole ownership yeah. uh, situation there is a little murky. I know uh, <laughs> uh, who's the running back, Eddie George, kind of lit him on fire the other yeah. day. Uh, but <laughs> at the same time, I just can't see anybody with the Titans being on board. Like, you have to give up so much more than just uh, 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 the quarterback. You also have – look, you – if you're going to send me Phillip Rivers, how about you send me uh, the tight end as well? Uh, <laughs> the Pro Bowl tight end he's got. Antonio and, Gates. And, yeah. You send them in a package deal <laughs> and maybe, maybe yeah. we can think about it. But there's no way I'm going to give up my opportunity to get, and maybe it won't be Mariota, but get an impact player at number two and maybe even a quarterback that can grow within the franchise for a dude that might have three or four more top-notch seasons up under his belt. I just don't see it happen. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense from that. but it, and, and especially, too, and it's not like they get a lot of picks in return. It's not one of those deals like, you know, I, I understand some of the trade talk where they might entice a team to trade up to number two to take Mariota because then they could get that sort of Rams deal where, you know, you get that just – dump truck full of draft picks. But the, even the problem with that is this kind of comes back to, like you said, Stephen, is this is a team that that's just like it's, you know, it's the team that time forgot. And the only way you really get around that is you get a quarterback. And it's hard to – it's it's just not – a quarterback's just not something you just go find in the draft like you do an offensive tackle or a, or a linebacker or something like that. I mean, it's not – it's not a spare part that you can just kind of plug and play and get by here and there for a year. And, and you've got, you know, the chance to take a viable guy in that position. And it's almost like they don't, I mean, maybe it's just, maybe it's just one of the greatest smoke screens in NFL draft history. And it could very well be, but it's almost just like, they're like, eh, you know, we're not, we're not so in love with the guy. We, we could do better with Zach Mettenberger. Who knows? Right, yeah, right, sure. The poor man's Tom Brady, apparently. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, maybe in their minds they see, you know, sort of like a, sh- a short-term, like sort of what the Broncos have done with uh, Peyton Manning. Obviously, I'm not comparing Philip Rivers to Peyton Manning, but, um, you know, maybe this is a way for them to, like, re-get, regather some of the, the excitement around the team, get them, you know, uh, competitive in the short term make them more of an attractive location for free agents, that kind of thing. And, you know, I obviously, you know, I don't know who has the power, what the power structure looks like in Tennessee off the top of my head. But like when you have a coach who's on the hot seat, you know, a lot of times they make rash decisions to try and save their job rather than, um, you know, the long-term health of the franchise. And so uh, maybe they see this as like a way they can, they can go out and, and like contend for a Super Bowl in the short term, and, and that's all they care about. 
I don't know, because Russ and Weber's kind of in a similar situation. I mean, there was talk this season that, that he would get fired. I mean, we actually, you know, behind the scenes at, at SBNation.com, we, uh, you know, we were we had stuff prepared that in case the Titans fired their general manager this year, and, and it was a very plausible, very plausible scenario, but he's got another yeah. chance. But, you know, and that kind of comes back to the quarterback thing too. It's like, well, if you draft a rookie quarterback, you also give yourself a little bit of a little yep. breathing room too. <laughs> A little yep. bit, but yeah, but I mean, then you have like situation where what if he's a bust, and then you're like, you set your team back. I mean, I'm just trying to think. I agree with you guys. It's probably like it's not probably not going to happen, but I'm just trying to think from their point of view if it did happen, like what they would be. You know, I just think GMs and coaches who are on the hot seat make rash decisions. Yeah, and uh, you know, this could be one of those things where they both don't really like Mariota, and they think that getting that you know, quote, franchise quarterback for that pick is, is a, a good deal. And they can pair him. They can pair Phillip Rivers with Wisenhunt, who, you know, they had their they had a really, really good year together uh, a couple of years ago. And, and they could sort of reignite that whole flame. And, you know, the Titans have some interesting playmakers on offense or potential playmakers. And so I'm just trying to think from their point of view. I think, you know, they could they could see it as, you know, a way to keep their jobs not number one and then, like, I guess, contend in the same way that the Broncos have done with Peyton Manning. Yeah. Well, you know, we've hit the Titans. We've hit now we've got the Raiders and the Titans covered on this podcast. So I think this is obviously going to just burn up the ratings charts covering (laughs) those two teams right there. So let's go three for three and address this because obviously this has been a wild week that the Jameis Winston to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has been the most locked in number one draft pick. What since, Andrew Luck and the Colts and Sam Bradford and the Rams in 2010. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer until this week when you've got Jaworski and NFL philosophy. If you get, you know, a guy, you know, our Twitter followers will probably recognize, you know, anyone that's deep in, in the, the bowels of NFL Twitter would recognize these guys um, saying that the Bucks aren't a, it's not a slam dunk that they'll draft Winston. And they're, you even have Jaworski kind of saying that they'll draft Mariota over Winston, which seems just like the wildest curveball you could get, possibly get at this point in time, and maybe the most obvious sort of pre-draft lie we've seen in a long time. I mean, <laughs> is there any way they don't draft Jameis Winston at this point? I I don't think so. Uh, I remain uh, kind of on the draft Mariota bandwagon, but there ain't many people on it locally. No. Let me tell you, let me tell you that. <laughs> And just the Bucks' actions throughout this spring, it has been pretty obvious that they uh, favored Jameis Winston, no matter what they've said publicly or what has come out uh, in leaks. Because, you know, it's almost like Jameis came to visit the Buccaneers and they had all of this behind-the-scenes footage that they put mm-hmm. online. But I swear, when Mariota came, it was almost like, well, we're going to do this because we have to, yeah. just so it doesn't look bad. But it was nothing like, to me, the same kind of production that they had for Jameis Winston. I just think everything points to them taking Jameis for various reasons. Um, he is a very good quarterback. He is one of the top two quarterbacks, uh, obviously, this draft season. He also has some charisma about him. He's right up the road in Florida State. Um there's a lot of Florida State fans locally that 
don't really see his off the field stuff as a problem. <laughs> Look, it, it, it's shocking, but it's true. Y'all have seen FSU Twitter uh, 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 in, in action, so you know how it goes. <laughs> Those they play for keeps. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean seriously, it, it came up this this morning. My my whole stance on it has been, and I've said this from the get go, that I don't care what you think about Jameis Winston. You cannot give him a pass on 18 interceptions. I've said that from the very beginning of this evaluation season, and I, I've kept saying that Mike, Mike, Mike Mayock, from the beginning, has been harping on his interceptions too, even long before he changed his draft order. So for me, the thing that has been interesting to me is the fact that there hasn't really been an uh, in-depth discussion, amongst, whether it be football, Twitter, or I'm talking about NFL Network or ESPN, well, you actually have somebody really getting in-depth on whatever flaws that he has because he's not a perfect prospect even yeah. on the field. So, uh, I mean, how many times have people bring up the 18 interceptions, but it's rare that people actually discuss them. You know, you got FSU Twitter is going to tell you that, <laughs> well, Jumbo, Jumbo say they were never his fault. And then you got, you know, other people that just throw it up just as a blanket statement against him. I went back and looked at 17 out of the 18, and like I say, I am no less concerned now than I was before I went back and watched him. There, there wasn't a whole lot to see there where I could say, oh, well, that wasn't his fault. I'm, I'm sorry, 18 interceptions is 18 interceptions, especially when the guy you're competing with only had four. Yeah. Well, and somebody was, I think it was probably Prisco, <laughs> but somebody was like, there were, you know, <laughs> there's this, the, hey, he's a gunslinger, man. Gunslingers throw interceptions. It happens. Exactly. <laughs> I've heard every justification you could think of this season. I can't believe it. they just like, oh, he just tried to stick it in the window. Well, that didn't work out very well, did it? <laughs> so what, and what the hell are you going to have to do in the NFL where the cornerbacks exactly. are good, you know? <laughs> I mean, this yeah, is... listen, and some of those throws, and there were at least two fuck it throws that I saw out of those uh, uh, 17 interceptions that I went back and saw, there were other throws, too, that I could say, but there was at least two where he just, it was the rush was kind of coming on him, and he just said, fuck it, and threw it up for grand. <laughs> and it did not work out well. I'm telling you, uh, uh, and both times it was to the tight end. So, look, the, the guy has legitimate flaws. If anything, I'm glad that this has come up now so people can at, at least we can all talk about them honestly and get them out of the way. Yeah. Even if the Bucks still take Jameis, because I just think we we haven't done this kid a service by continuing to act like he's the perfect prospect without any flaws on the field. Yeah, and he's kind of. He, I mean, he's the most unexamined number one. I mean, not in some respects. Obviously, he's not. I mean, his you know off field stuff's been well trounced. I mean, it's you know we know. Publicly, as much as I think we're ever going to know publicly about this stuff. Now, who knows what else there is to know about it? And I think maybe that the Buccaneers and the NFL probably have a better handle on that. But, I mean, there is really that push to kind of, you know, make this arranged marriage without sort of considering, like, you know, without considering those 18 interceptions. I'm without just going deeper into that because, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, we can speculate as to why. I mean, maybe it's just because of the rush to get – He's a quarterback, and everybody needs quarterbacks. And he's a talented guy, even in spite of his flaws. So you know there is that. But man, I'm telling you what, there's there's some there are red flags there besides just the just taking out the off field stuff and the maturity issues entirely out of the equation. There there are red flags there with him. Yeah, I think that's why you. I mean, two weeks away, we still have conflicting reports over who's going to be number one. You know, 
In, yeah. in, a, in a normal year, you'd have a clear cut, like number one quarterback. And, you know, there's still, still major questions about it. So it's going to be interesting what happens there. Hopefully it doesn't, hopefully nothing comes out. You know, until like the last minute, so there's this crazy drama right before. <laughs> well, he may be the number one pick, but he may not be he's probably not the number one overall player in the draft. And I think that is a guy we um we've talked a little bit about on the podcast before and we're gonna talk a lot more about him today. It's a guy that uh Steven wrote up this after wrote up today, um it just posted today. USC defensive lineman Leonard Williams. Now Steven First impressions of Leonard Williams? Would you? You, you definitely. You you don't go. You don't mince words here. He's you're the, he's the top of your board in you know, win the draft here. Absolutely. And, and look, I got to back up because you said some. Look, I'm I'm a little nervous right now because I just t- checked Twitter and Pete Prisco actually agrees with my assessment of Leonard Williams. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous. About, I'm actually going to have to go back and reread and make sure I, you know I said everything the way I wanted to <laughs> about the guy. <laughs> but look, look, uh, this kid was so impressive to me. Uh, he's another guy who I had watched his film already, and then all of a sudden it got zapped and disappeared, and so I had to wait until uh, draftbreakdown.com got those videos back up before I could do his actual breakdown. But he was no less impressive on the third or fourth watch. Uh, one of the things that impressed me the most is through four games. See, I like five games because you can't fool me in five games, right? You might fool me for four and a half games, but at some point, I'm going to see who you are. Well, I saw who this kid was for all four games. So I can't imagine that I would seem much different in a fifth, sixth, or seventh game. He's just consistently dominant at the point of attack. You see him just jack up offensive tackles, guards, tight ends. It wasn't even funny. Like, <laughs> seriously, like I said, when you watch the film and you see a tight end, a rare opportunity for a tight end to try to block him, it is such an ass kicking that you can just see a thought bubble over his head. Like, <laughs> I can't believe they're trying to get me to do this shit in the first place. <laughs> um, and, and he's just that dominant of a guy against the run. He's just picking people up. And, and look, I talked about this in the piece. When, when you have a two-gapping defense, you expect that guy to give a little bit of ground sometimes because, look, he's lined up head up on a, whoever it is, a center, guard, tackle, and those guys are going to come off and sometimes double team and what have you. He's coming off the ball late. He's kind of catching. That is the nature of two-gapping. It is not normal to see a guy who's a two-gap guy actually consistently knock his man back because you're catching. I mean, he's got first blow. You don't get off the ball when you're in a two-gapping style defense. You wait for them to come off and you kind of catch them and then you play off of them. He's knocking guys back, though, and, and two-gapping and, and consistently in four games. I just saw this over and over and over again. It just seemed like it was the same play, just different uniforms, guys getting jacked up, and then him coming off and making the play. And so I would have felt like he's a top-ten player just off how he plays the run. But with the NFL being a passing league and the things he could do as a pass rusher, even though that wasn't really his deal at USC because, look, if you're in the two-gap defense, they leave the pass rushing up usually to those outside linebackers rushing outside. Every once in a while, they gave him an opportunity to rush on the edge, and he took full advantage of it. I, I, I just think that I haven't seen very many college defensive linemen be as dominant as he was consistently. 
And so that was the thing that was most impressive to me overall, that whether he was pass rushing, playing the run, no matter what it was, he was consistently dominant over four games. And I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be the top player, no matter where he's drafted, at when it's all said and done, he'll be the top player from this draft. The thing that I was finding interesting about your analysis, you're talking about how you'd love to see him in a 4-3 defense where he could play on the five-tech, you know, on base downs and then move inside. Um, and that's kind of something the Jaguars have done, you know, with they did Red Bryant out out on the end. And um, that would, do you think that would be a really good fit there for him as a third pick? Absolutely do. Uh, I know that uh, I, I believe most of the mocks have them taking more of an edge rusher, mm-hmm. but I think that what he could bring you as is a Red Bryant type of defensive end would be outstanding because look, Red Bryant got to go against tight ends a lot. When, yeah. when you're in a four three defense, you're that, that strong side defensive end. That's basically your job. Go to the tight end side and kick his ever loving ass, and that <laughs> is right up Leonard Williams' alley. Let him do that for two plays and then kick him inside and let him beat up on the uh, offensive tackle. You got sitting Derek March right beside him. That would be one hell of a pass rushing duo inside on any team. So I do think he's a great fit there. For whatever reason, it seems like everybody's mocking them with a a wide rusher, outside linebacker type guy, uh, Mm -hmm. or a defensive end that Leo uh, position, I think, uh, is, is is who they're kind of associating with the Jaguars. But I wouldn't be surprised if they took Leonard Williams. Because like I said, he is the top player in the draft. If the other two, whoever picks the one and two, I think is going to need a quarterback. And those quarterbacks are going to go one and two. But he shouldn't fall any further than number three, in my opinion. If he does, then there'll just be somebody else's uh, uh, claim to fame that they was able to get him that low. It's amazing. In another year, he'll be the top pick in the draft far away, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think if, if Gus Bradley gets him, I, I know that, you know, <laughs> everyone talks about pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, and, and that's really important too. But I know for Gus Bradley, when he was in Seattle, uh, he was constantly talking about run defense, and, and that's kind of Pete Carroll's whole thing too is like you got to stop the run first, and then that, that's, you know, basically where the rest of your defense goes off of because you can't stop the run you can't do anything. And so um, that would be a really interesting fit, I think, for sure. You know, the funny thing about this Seattle-style defense is it is built to play the run. People look at it as, you know, this fantastic pass defense. Right, But really, right. and truly, you know, they, they're mostly playing uh, cover three or, uh, 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 you know, something with a safety down in the box. Yep. That's actually supposed to be an a easier passing uh, 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 scheme to pass against than run against. It's just that they're so good at playing that defense, period, that they're able to knock out the run and cause you a lot of trouble in the passing game as well. So I agree. They they seem to be more concerned, like, of the two, this defense and the way they have it set up is more concerned with stopping the run. It just so happens if you have the personnel to be very good against the pass as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something people maybe don't understand is that Pete Carroll is, like, obsessed with stopping the run. You know, that's what he always talks about, running the ball, stopping the run. And I guarantee you that Gus Bradley feels that way too. So, that yeah, I mean, it's interesting listening to all the mocks. And, and you know, the, the obvious thing is, oh, get a pass rusher because those are very valuable players as well. But um, if he could if he could get a guy that could stop the run and, you know, rush 
from the inside on, on nickel downs. That's pretty damn valuable. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the kids, you know, that was what's so, what was fun making the, the gifs, the gifs or whatever, you know, however you <laughs> prefer it. I always get twisted up on that now because my, it's, it's technically all the nerds say it's gif. I'm like, I want to say gif. I say gif, but like now my brain is switched over sometimes and I spit out gif and I'm like, no. Damn you! But then, I'm never, I'm never crossing over this GIF. Never. I'm always gonna be a GIF guy. Here. I don't care. It's AG. Yeah. Fight me. I don't care. But the best part about making those was just like you get to see, you know, you see you're matching that up with like, all right, here's what's, you know, you're writing about it, and then here's what you see. <clears throat> pardon me. What you see him do on the field, and you know, looking back at all the other ones we've done this year so far. Nobody just it, – it's effortless for him. I mean, he just like how – I mean, the specific move or not, whatever it is, whatever it is he's doing, he just like – you know, he just moves off the ball so smoothly and it's – he's on his play. Even if he doesn't come up with a sack or a pressure or tackle the running back or anything or the ball's going away from him, whatever it is, he's just – you know, he's in and he's around his offensive lineman. Like it's – I mean, it's – it makes the game. He makes the he makes that position what he does look like anybody could do it, and I think that's a really that's a big endorsement for me because it's not something that anybody can do. Obviously, we see bad defensive tackle play all the time in the fall and in draft time and and this time of year, and he just makes it look like it's the the damn easiest thing in the world. And, and that's the thing, uh, also, uh, because I'm, I'm already seeing. Twitter react a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not going to address it specifically, but a lot of people will will say, "Well, how can you evaluate a prospect when they go against, say, lesser competition?" But here's the thing: I, I don't think people understand this about playing defensive line. You go against the worst offensive line in the world. There's still things that are going to be impressive because nobody else is doing them. If you look at that film, one of the things you'll notice is. Yeah, maybe he's playing against a team that doesn't have a great offensive line. Well, why isn't everybody else on his team kicking their offensive line's ass the way that he is? Because <laughs> he's special. Those kind of guys, I don't care who you're playing against, stand out whether they're playing against top-notch competition or the worst offensive line in the world. They're still going to stand out and be more dominant than everybody else around them. And so that's the thing that I noticed watching this film, too, is like, okay, you can say what you want to about this tackle or this guard. Why ain't everybody else kicking their ass like that then? Yeah. Exactly. Because this dude is doing something that only he can do right now, and people will see that once he t gets on to the next level. Yeah, and you can see that, and it was the same. It didn't matter which – I mean, it was hard to kind of keep straight which game he was playing because, you know, he it was all he looked the same against Nebraska as he did against Fresno State. I mean, it was just like, you know, there was no the competition level didn't really affect his play. I mean, he was just he he threw those tight ends and running backs aside. It didn't matter which tape he was. It didn't matter which exactly. tape you were watching. Exactly. So I, I'm I'm very uh, comfortable with my evaluation of this kid. And look, we look back five years and see who was right and who was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> His, hey, you know, somebody else brought up I, when you mentioned the thing about Prisco on Twitter. I was, I was digging around a little bit. <laughs> somebody mentioned the hand play, his his hand work, and that's really incredible. And that's something you mentioned in the piece too. That's not something that 
a lot of young, you know, 22-year-old pass rushers just out of college have down pat, even the even some of the best ones that come out. They don't. And, and the stuff that you really have to pay attention to and know what you're looking for. Because, and, and this is another guy, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, he was actually putting out gifts of Leonard Williams weeks and weeks ago, going through different stuff that he'd done. And I looked at one of the gifts and I was like, that's not what happened. Your explanation of what he did isn't actually what happened. Let me tell you what happened. I told him privately, it looked like, you know, Leonard Williams just ran up the field and the guy stopped blocking him and he made a play. What actually happened was, like in a uh, 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 blink of an eye, Leonard Williams came off. It, it was, I think it's in one of our gifts in, in the column. Uh, he comes off down by the goal line, and it's supposed to be kind of like a, a, a half role play, but he knocks down uh, the guard's hands and step, sidesteps him and knocks, it just gets right to the quarterback right away. It looks like the guard just missed the block. He's so good and so fast with his hands that I had to rewind it several times to get back and see and blow it up and see what exactly happened. But you see on, on the replay, especially from the end zone uh, angle, exactly what it took to make that play. A lot of young players don't even get what he did with his hands to make that play. They just figure, you know, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. He just went around the guy. No, it's his technique that's combined with his physical gifts that makes him such a dominant player. And like you said, you just see it play after play after play. Usually these guys, I'm watching a guy right now, got lazy, incons uh, inconsistent hands. One play, he might make a play. Next play, he might watch the play go right by him. Never saw that with Leonard Williams. Every single time, he might not have always made the play, but he was always using technique, using the right footwork to be in position to make a play. And that's that, uh, that you just don't see that very much of college guys coming out. He can play all along the line. He, you know, and, and they talk, you talk, you can talk about competition, but if you're dominating lower level competition, that's what you want to see from guys. You know, if like, if you have a D2 guy that you're looking at, if he dominates the lower level of competition, that's what you want to see. And um, you really only start worrying about it if, uh, if he's not dominating that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm on board with him as, you know, one of the top players in the class. And it's actually been a little bit interesting to see that, I think in draft Twitter, there's been a little bit of discussion lately that he's maybe overrated or whatever, but um, I guess that's just the nature of the draft cycle, and, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, draft Twitter? Come on, Danny. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we, we get along and agree all the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but I just think, you know, you're going to hear this about a bunch of guys on, on draft Twitter, this guy's overrated, that guy's underrated. I just think sometimes you just overthink things. Yeah. Leonard Williams is blessed in a way that most guys aren't with his size, strength, and his 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 quickness and physical ability. It, it just <laughs> – the film don't lie. The combine workout don't lie. You know, you say you want a guy to check all the boxes. I'm not sure if there's a box that he can't check. So – uh, I just think sometimes you look so hard because you're like, he can't be this good. And again, I did hear people saying he's the next Reggie White, which <laughs> no, no, nobody on earth is the next Reggie White. I've seen Reggie White uh, live and in person. There ain't nobody else 
going to come along like Reggie White, I promise you. But he's still going to be a great player in his own right. And I understand the usefulness of comparisons, but, man, people really want that black and white one-to-one comparison when you're talking about players. And sometimes you just it's like, well, Leonard Williams is Leonard Williams, man. And he's <laughs> going to define himself when he gets to the NFL and he gets a few years under his belt. And, you know, he's got the kind of talent and the skill set that it's the kind of, you know, you're going to remember the name Leonard Williams 10, 15, 20 years from now. And and you won't necessarily need to like, well, Leonard Williams is the next Reggie White when, you know, this is 15 years down the road when you don't really need that kind of comparison anymore. But, man, people just eat that shit up this time of year. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. I think it's useful to an extent. I just think people shouldn't, like you said, they shouldn't be so attached to it. Like, right. Like, I didn't get, man, I got a little bit offended. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> when they said he was the next Reggie White just because, you know, Reggie went to Tennessee and, and I've met him several times. But at the same time, that's not his fault. So don't take it out on him and not say he's overrated because some other person said he's this or he's that. It's just somebody, you won't be mad, mad at, be mad at them for making the, the, the comparison. But, you know, I just feel like some people you shouldn't compare anybody to. But at the same time, you can make comparisons with anybody if you see it. I, I think... Sometimes it does help. Like, you know, I made the comparison with Vic Beasley being like John Abraham because I played with John Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you play with a guy or you study the guy and this guy really reminds you of him, sometimes that's how you'll connect with other people who are listening or reading your evaluation because they're kind of like, well, you know, this is great. You're telling me he can do this and he can do that. But what does that look like tangibly? And then people can say, well, okay, I, you know, I remember – uh, how John Abraham used to move and pass rush and stuff. So if he could be half as good as him, that would be great. But it's just those people who really go overboard with it. Like, no, he's a hundred percent exactly like Reggie <laughs> White, you know, or or, yeah. or J- he's the next JJ White. And you know, they make that comparison as more of a perfect comparison than it ever needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, to me, the, the, the pro comps serve as, like, a way to conceptualize the style of player that he could be um, more more than, you know, like, he's going to be the next so-and-so. I, to me, it's more like, oh, okay, that makes some sense, like, how they could use him, the style right. of player he is, like, exactly. how he moves around, how like, his style of athleticism. I think there are a lot, like, yeah, there are good, good ways to use the comps, but, like, when you, like for instance, a lot of things that I run into is like, oh, he he looks like Marshawn Lynch. I'm like, well, maybe <laughs> like you know, maybe one part of his skill set looks like Marshawn Lynch, but you know, you're talking about one of the elite running backs in the league. It's like when you compare someone to Adrian Peterson, you better be really, really freaking high on this guy to compare him to one of the top players in the league, um, unless you're adding like a caveat that like you know he's got the bow legged style of Marshawn Lynch, for instance. So you just got as long as you do it right. I, I actually do like the the pro comparisons too, but um, when you get into hyperbole mode, that's when you can run into trouble. <laughs> yeah. We've got a special treat on tap for you today. Uh, PFT commenter has, has kindly stopped by the show for uh, another appearance. Talk a little NFL, talk a little draft, and and whatever else is on his mind. Uh, Stephen, Danny, please join me in saying hello to PFT commenter. What's going on? Hello. Hey guys, nice to uh, nice 
to be on your little program here and got some takes and, you know, some rapid-fire Q&A, some uh, buy or sell, whatever you got, I'm ready for it. Uh, I'm going to start outside of football. We're not start. i got to start with something not the NFL. As you know, it is April 14th. It's tax day. Oh, shit. Are your taxes <laughs> Um, No, they're uh, – how how long is this going to take? I'm just curious. Um, well, I think you've got till midnight tonight to get your taxes in, so no worries okay. there. Can, you just, can you I just tell you? Swing story? by the Burger King, pick up your W two, and then get it filled out for you. Yeah, I need to. I need to send a few emails here before the end of the day. Um, <laughs> what's the, what's the deal with getting an extension? Is that just like an honor system thing where I have another six months to turn in, or how does that go? I I don't know. Danny, Stephen, you guys know anything about that? Yeah, it's it's hmm. something something similar to that exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like the honor system, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just stick a post-it note on there, and they'll Good take care of it. Can I, can I keep just getting extensions until Obama gets out of office and like Rubio gets in, and then I'll pay Rubio? <laughs> How are <laughs> extending this for? Can I can I run out the clock for two years? Uh, well, it's not, it's not exactly Rubio that you're going to be paying, but, <laughs> I, hey, you could try. Okay, yeah, I just, I, all things being equal, I'd rather not give Obama, Obama any more of my money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to, hey, uh, PFT, let's, taxes, it's kind of, the taxes are kind of depressing. Let's talk about, let's, let's get back to the takes. Okay. Um. I wanted to start a little bit with you on, uh, you probably have some opinions. We talked a little bit earlier on the show, just kind of some of the X's and O's stuff on the, the latest and greatest quarterback rumors out of San Diego that the Chargers may, uh, you know, move on from send Phillip Rivers to Tennessee and draft Marcus Mariota. How does that strike you? Um, that's, a, that's a smoke screen to me. I mean, Phillip Rivers is probably the best quarterback in the AFC West. In wow. My, um, yeah, I think it's a big smoke screen. I think, Rivers is like – so he's not an athletic quarterback. He just kind of throws the ball. He's always done that little shot putt thing where the ball flutters in the air for like six seconds before anybody catches it. Um, and that's like – that's the type of quarterback that gets better with old band strength. And he's – you know, he's having kids on kids and kids. Um, so I think he's actually just begun to scratch the surface of, of how good he's going to be. It's like, um, it's like Tim Duncan, right? Tim Duncan's not jamming on everybody. He's throwing the ball off high off the backboard like dad style, you know. And um, the older he gets, the better he gets at his game. That's what Philip Rivers is doing. The um, the weaker his arm gets, actually, the better he's going to get as a quarterback. I think. Um, so I think that's a smokescreen. I see. Uh, I I still see the Bucks um, taking Winston number one overall. Uh, but I do have – I've got my concerns because it almost seems like Winston's interception numbers have gone up since the season ended, which, <laughs> which is a huge red flag. I mean, 18 interceptions, I didn't I, – last last I heard, I thought it was like 9 or 10. Um, so somehow there's some like fuzzy math going on in the bookkeeping. Um, but I think Lovey Smith is uh, is not really one to fact check anything. So he'll – I'm sure he'll pick up uh, – he'll pick up Winston, then Mariota will go uh, – I think he'll go number two overall. Are you concerned at all about Winston's off-field stuff, the maturity issues? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I think I said this last week, but uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks have red flags on their helmet, so it's going to be a perfect fit for Winston <laughs> on their team. Um, 
really concerned. Honestly, like all the other stuff is kind of minor, but the um, the fact that he uh, he stole those crab legs is probably you know that's reason enough where I wouldn't draft him on my team. Man, that's harsh. Even as much as they need a quarterback, as much as you, you want, want a quarterback, team, you need a quarterback. So they they compare him to uh, Ben Roethlisberger, but the big difference is Ben Ben had a different type of crabs that he would he would take people <laughs> together. Uh, I understand why they make that comparison, but I think that's a little bit unfair uh, to Big Ben. Yeah, you know, Roethlis, well, what was it? Roethlisberger was, uh, well, you know, they were both acquitted on, or sort of acquitted on the uh, on some of their more heinous crimes they were accused. Right, but I mean, come on, Big Ben's got like two or three under his belt that that's we know true. about. That's true. Um, yeah, Jameis, Jameis is an amateur. Big Ben's elite. He's sort of elite when it comes to that. He is, yeah. And, um, you know, I'd say that Big Ben's more like that uh, that Nick O'Leary fellow, that, that lunch bill <laughs> Jack Nicholas guy on, uh, on Florida State. They both get into motorcycle accidents without wearing helmets, and they turn out just fine. <laughs> yeah, Nick O'Leary. I talked to Nick O'Leary at the Combine. Nice guy, let me tell you. Real nice guy. Doesn't wear gloves. No, doesn't wear gloves at all. And it was Old like, school. I asked him about that, and as I've had the audacity to ask him about that. And it was like, you, I might as well have been asking to have sex with like his sister or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, Jesus didn't wear gloves. That's true. That's true. Jesus was, Jesus would have been an elite quarterback no matter what, no matter what the league, yeah. I think. PFT, now, but does, does this make sense to you that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would draft Mariota instead of Rivers? I mean, Mariota, probably, to me, doesn't seem like the kind of quarterback that you'd rate real highly. No, in fact, I, th- I think that every quarterback sucks this year. I don't think that you're going to find any good quarterbacks. Um, I think that Phillip Rivers is, if they're going to give Phillip Rivers just to get the number two pick, I'd say if you're, if you're, um, Who's got number two? Is that Tennessee? That's Tennessee, yeah. Yeah, I'd say if you're Tennessee, you take that and you run with it. Uh, because the fact is, I I honestly can't name any Tennessee Titan players except for um, except for Mettenberger. Um, so that kind of tells you the shape that they're in. That's not so much an indictment of me as an NFL analyst. That's an indictment of just how bad their roster is. And um, I think that I think that you take a Philip Rivers type if you can get him. Also, I mean, Philip Rivers is the most Nashville quarterback that there is. You know, yeah. wearing the bolo tie, he's uh, squirting out kids, he's um, <laughs> promoting the NRA every chance you get. That guy needs to be in Nashville. Um, but San Diego, I think the bond's too strong in San Diego between Rivers and Woodhead for him to ever leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe it's a package deal. I mean, maybe you send Danny Woodhead to, to Tennessee, too. I mean, they could certainly appreciate his grit, his lunch pail style of play. Wouldn't that be a treat? In the middle part of the country, like that. how many? Okay, what's the over under of how many uh, Taylor Swift songs get written about the Tennessee Titans if Danny Woodhead and Philip Rivers roll into town next year? I say I'm going to put it at three. I'm thinking it's going to be a concept album, like it, it's going to be just about the Titans. Maybe even get Aaron Tippin involved on it. Oh, you guys, re- yeah. you guys realize Charlie Whitehurst is in Tennessee right now as well. Is he still around? Is he still? He hasn't died yet. His yeah, his his hair is still there. He he's still rocking the great Instagram, talking about his chambray shirts and whatnot. He hasn't That's been great. nailed to the football cross yet. As football <laughs> Jesus, indeed. That's great. I I thought that he would have died a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
BFT, did you did you watch a little bit? Have you been watching some basketball? You're all geared up for the NBA playoffs, or I kind of get the sense you're maybe not the biggest NBA guy. I'm not an NBA guy. I like Spencer Hawes. I like uh, I like uh, that Chris Kamen fella. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I mean, okay, you've got you've got LeBron trying to coach up his own team over there, trying to do it all by himself. Um, and meanwhile, Kevin Love standing in the corner by himself with his hand up in the air, saying, "Okay, I'm open, I'm open." You know, I've played ball with some guys like that before, and they never ask me back because um, they just like to score all the points on their own. It's almost like they'd rather play with four guys on a team than five. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not real impressed with the Cavaliers. I guess. If I had to put my money on anybody, it would probably be uh, be Spencer Hawes holding down the the center of the court for the Clippers. Um, they've still got you know some Donald Sterling issues out there, uh, but I think that I think that Donald Sterling doesn't get enough credit for being an expert motivator. Uh, you remember how that team came together last year? You know he was they he did. was such, he was such uh, well. I guess the PC police had a field day with you know some of the words he was using. But at the end of the day, he united his team, even if it was against him. Um, so you know, Sterling is is a bit unconventional, but I think that you know his results have spoken for themselves. I, I like I like their odds coming out of the West. Yeah, I'm Captain Bly. I mean, people people forget that Captain Bly was a good captain in some ways. People forget that. That's I mean, true. You know, it's. It's uh everybody. There's a lot, a lot of different motivating tactics out there, and if you can, I guess, if you can get away with it without getting fragged or or something like that, it's <laughs> that much better. Um, have you been following? Are you are you excited for the draft, PFT? Um, I'm really excited about the draft. I think that you know the city of Chicago is a great one to have it in. Um, I'm I'm excited to be spending a little bit of time up there in a couple weeks. That's uh, but, right. If anyone yeah. anyone out there hasn't heard yet, PFT is going to the draft later this month. Going to cover <laughs> the NFL draft in Chicago, a blue That's collar right. town. It's a very blue collar town. Here's a little story about the last time I was in Chicago. This is how I knew I loved that town from the get go. Um, I got off the plane and uh, I was actually waiting for my brother to fly into town, and so I had about two hours to kill. And you know, I figured. Well, it's going to be a long weekend. We're going to be hitting the bars. I'm going to stop by the local YMCA and do some curls, just get the guns going for the weekend. Sure. Um, it's important whenever you're in a new city to always make sure that your arms are on point, just in case you know anybody starts mean mugging you at the bars or whatever. So I did about hours worth of bicep exercises at the gym. Turns out it was the old Chicago Bears workout facility. So I was working out where Mike Dick. <laughs> Dick had worked out, and you know you could kind of feel his presence there a little bit. So I was done working out, and I go across the street to a diner, and the guy sitting next to me at the diner uh, orders a six-egg omelet, and he requests it with four yolks only. So instead of an egg white omelet, he was ordering an egg yellow omelet, and I just took my hat off to the guy. I'd never heard anybody order that before. Um, but I, I order that every time now. I call it Chicago style. I don't know if it's Chicago style or not, but that's what I call it. That's and um, it is really unhealthy, but it is it's delicious. That's pretty. That's I mean that's always been my experience with Chicago. I, to me, Chicago's a lot like New York, except that everybody's twenty five pounds heavier. Yeah, it's a great town. Um, that was my first impression of Chicago, and I can't wait to go back. And non ironic mustaches. Yeah. Lots of those, lots of those everywhere. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, that's refreshing. It's a Chicago's credit. It's refreshing to see. I'm hoping to catch a, a Cubs game in the, in the bleachers. 
Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I wonder how the Jets fans will be there. I wonder if the Jets fans will make the trek to Chicago or, or we're going to have dispassionate Bears fans to kind of replace Just Bears them. fans? At the draft, do you know their policy on taking your shirt off? I'm sure it's probably okay. <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking if I'm going to be in the Wrigley bleachers, I'm probably just not going to pack any shirts for the weekend. Yeah, just leave your creden- you know just leave the credential around your neck just in case yeah. there's any trouble or anything like that. They, That's they can call me that way. I'll get a pretty wicked credential tan. I've never had a credential tan before, but <laughs> it'll be good. It's I mean it's it's like a redneck tan, but like ten times cooler. I think. Right, it's like a media tan. Yeah, exactly. I like that. It's the the only thing better is like. The tan and like the pleats in your khakis, where it kind of gets in there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you so have any any bold predictions for the draft, PFT? You know, I'm uh, I'm just I'm catching up on a lot of it right now. I don't really pay much attention to the college game until right before they're about to be in the NFL, because mm-hmm. college is a totally different game. It's you know it's pointless to watch the tape really because you don't know what you're going to get until sure. you get to the NFL. Um, anybody will tell you that. So I uh, I just started catching up and watching a little bit of tape. Um, you know, disappointed, obviously, that Marriott is not going to be at the draft. Um, that's the most important thing I, I think I've realized so far this week. And uh, I've been watching a lot of Todd Gurley tape, um, even some film of him. And uh, mostly I'm just – the film that I'm that worries me is when he's signing those autographs in the back seat. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, in my day, we didn't even really teach players how to read when they were in college. Um so if you don't know how to read or write, then how are you going to be signing your names and get yourself into trouble in these kind of uh, autograph situations? So it's like, okay, on one hand, yeah, you've got some illiterate players, uh, but I'll take a Dexter Manley over a Todd Gurley any day. Yeah. Well, and that's the, you know, that's, the, I guess the NCAA wants to have it their way or, or, or the players' unions or whatever it is uh, that want to get those guys paid or something. Yep. What do you think about paying college players? Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Um, what, what, what are we going to pay him? We're going to pay him, you know, only at the big schools. Or are we going to pay all the small schools? Or are we going to pay the good players and, and the bad players? Like, so now we're not just giving, you know, letterman jackets and, and awards and certificates to players, but we're also paying them badly, even if they don't perform up to their contracts. So now you've got a situation where you're going to see holdouts. You're going to see all this nonsense that you see at the pro level, um, except you're going to see it on, on Saturdays instead of Sundays. Hmm. Good point. That's Good point. similar. That's sort of like Rovell. I mean, Rovell's kind of offered some thoughts on the same lines. I read, um, you know, Rovell wrote a book about Gatorade. Mm-hmm. He wrote an entire no- novel about Gatorade. I, I read <laughs> it and I was trying to write an article about it and I can't because it's, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> and it's just like an encyclopedia of the last 30 years of no, scratch that, 50 years of Gatorade history. Uh, a couple things that I learned from that, Ravel's email address as recently as 2006 was thegatoradeguy at AOL.com. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so let's see some other facts that I learned from that book. Well, he, first of all, he writes about 30 pages on the Be Like Mike song. Oh, God. <laughs> about that one song, and it's just, it's disgusting. Um, all Sport used to be called Mountain Dew Sport, if you can believe that. But then they changed the, the name of it because I guess the first thing that you think of when you talk about Mountain Dew is like accidentally chemically castrating yourself mm. by drinking too much of it. Um, so they didn't want to have that association. And 
Let's see what else. Uh, yeah, there was a um, there was a flavor of Gatorade back in 2004 called ESP and the Flavor. I never had that. <laughs> Have you guys heard of that? <laughs> no. I want to get my hands on on some ESP and the Flavor if it's still drinkable. Um. So yeah, I, I read Ravel's book called First and Thirst. I don't recommend it to anybody. It's really really bad. Um, but it's just like a comprehensive study of how Gatorade. Became How many pages is it? Developed. It's like 200 pages, 250 Jeez. pages. I mean, it seems like the kind of thing you, that seems like the kind of story that could be accomplished in, you know, like 2,000 words or something like right, that. Right, but he had a lot of press releases to fit in there. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's it true. took a lot more space. The, the best part was how he was claiming that Gatorade has always been on the lookout for, uh, for all these new uh, uses and advantages and new formulas that they can, they can do to make their drink better and make it more effective for athletes. But he doesn't give a single example of how the formula has ever changed. In fact, it really hasn't changed other than they found some new cheaper chemicals to put to make it sweeter instead mm-hmm. of like school sugar. So that was the only real formula change that they made. Uh, they actually bought this other type of sports drink back in, I think, the 80s. It was called TQ2, and it had been proven to be a better sports drink. And uh, so Gatorade just bought the formula and then just kind of burned the recipe so that nobody could make it instead of making their own version of it. But the whole time Darren's talking about how Gatorade has always been at the forefront of trying to uh, trying to tweak their formula in case that there's any new innovations they need to know about. But that's not true. Uh, in fact, I've done my own double-blind studies on hangovers, and Pedialyte <laughs> is much better than Gatorade for when you've drank like 40 beers the night before. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, it's actually made to to hydrate people. I mean, it's actually yeah. made to hydrate you. I, you know what I like? I like to actually make a Pedialyte cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Pedialyte mimosa is what I do with the orange flavor Pedialyte and some Andre champagne. Mm. And that gets, <laughs> back to that gets you right back there. I never had you pegged as a champagne guy, PFT. What's that? I said I never really had you pegged as a champagne guy, but I guess you know it's you got you're a man of many tastes. Just Andre. Well, yeah, it's, I, I a man it's of a many takes and tastes. On a Sunday, uh, if you if you want to kind of be looking classy, I don't drink it out of a flute or whatever. I just drink it out of the Pedialyte jug, but it's still it's kind of classy to just pour a little bit of bubbly. It's five dollars a bottle for Andre, so I'm not exactly the high the hog here, but it's uh, it's good enough to get the job done. That's true. You can't beat that. And plus, the ladies probably the ladies like that. Oh, they love it. They love it. It's, it's good like, for your Sunday, your tailgate parties where you've got you've got a you know a little something for everybody there. It's like their own little chalice. When when they see me walking down the street with the Pedialyte jugs, you know they're going to need a mop to clean up after themselves. Absolutely. Hey, I want to touch base up with you. One thing you had a pretty strong take about Aaron Hernandez lately. I know we talked about the trial a little bit last time. We had you on the show, and I wanted to kind of come back and and talk to you a little bit about the take you had today over kissing Susie Culver about Aaron Hernandez. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that, the thinking he, of he deserves to be considered for the Hall of Fame. It's it's very simple. The Hall of Fame does not require any sort of character or moral That's judgment true. to be cast on you. Um, I'm not saying he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but I, I think that during his murder tr- trial where he's been accused of killing a, a young 27-year-old man is a perfect time to just remind ourselves that he should still be eligible for the Hall of Fame. I think I think we need to have that conversation. He's already being tried in in the actual literal court, so it's double jeopardy if you were to keep him out of the Hall of Fame just because he killed four people. 
True. It's not fair to him. Um, also, I think that now is the time to finally have the conversation that Jerry Sandusky should be eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, that's, that, that, I mean, that might be a little more controversial, but I mean, well, I, I guess that's, you know. Let, let me put it this way. The college bylaws are a little bit different. They have a morality clause in there, um, which I think should be changed. I don't think that, I think the NFL has it right that you should, uh, you should really not care what somebody does unless it's during an active regular season game. But um, if it's a college player, for some reason, they have this whole off the field thing. Um, so, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to talk about Darren Sharper being in the hall of fame, I say, let's have that conversation about Sandusky as well. well somebody actually raised that point about Darren Sharper in the hall of fame, right? Uh, Peter King and God bless. I think he's got, he's got his finger on the pulse right now. Um, I think that he brought that up because he, uh, well, truth be told, I think what he's doing, he's playing the long game. I think Mike Tunison over at KSK has it right. Uh, Peter King's going to be waving the Brett Favre flag here in a couple of years. Ah, there you go. He's going to be, he's going to be standing at the front of that line with a megaphone telling everybody how off the field stuff doesn't count. So he's setting up his, his excuse in advance. He's playing the long game, but I think it's actually worth hearing because there, you know, there's some other guys out there like Hernandez uh, that need to be, they need to have their day in court of the hall of fame committee. You know, and, and two, I just, you know, with the stuff about Lawrence Phillips coming out too, I mean, it seems like there's another guy, a hall <laughs> yeah. of fame, a hall of famer, cert, a first ballot hall of famer. If it's just bad Rams draft picks, but right. Mount, he's a Mount Flushmore of bad Rams players. Yeah, definitely. He would definitely be on the, the Mount Flushmore of Rams draft, the first round Rams draft picks. And that's and that would be a big Mount Flushmore. I mean, you'd have to have like North and South Dakota to accomplish. Yeah, they'd need that. a bigger mountain. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um so one other thing I wanted to touch on. I don't know if you yeah. have you heard uh any of this stuff about how Ike Taylor and Troy Palomalu met? No. Okay. Um so I'm a big I'm a big PFT Live fan. I listen to uh, Florio's radio show. Sure. And he had Ike Taylor on there. Ike Taylor, Steelers defensive back, just retired this morning. Um, by the way, I think Taylor and Palomalu kind of realized they're just system guys. And so yeah. Dick LeBeau retired, and so Palomalu was like, okay, writing's on the wall. I'm going to get found out as, as, as a jag or just a guy. That's a pretty common term that's used in football circles. So they uh, they knew that they were – just system guys, so they retired. But anyways, um, this is how, how Troy and Ike met. Uh, Troy was walking through, I think it was the Steelers workout facility, and he opens a door and walks into a room, and Ike Taylor is sitting on the floor doing naked sit-ups. Oh, th- that's how they met each other. That begs, There's a lot of questions that go along with that. Like, what? <laughs> I've never done a naked sit-up in my life. Um, you know, naked push-ups, that's one thing. Naked jumping jacks, yeah, I get that. That's pretty normal stuff. Um, <laughs> but a naked sit-up, I, that just, it, it's weird to me. But that's how they met. Yeah, anything, I mean, I, naked exercises, only, I think only the kind way you, if you, if you have to squeeze your butt in any of them, that's probably a good one. I was going to say, your, my rule, if you're working out at my house, you know, just, you can be naked, that's fine. Just uh, no exercises where your butt touches the floor. Yeah. And if, if you do, it, I have a strict bring-your-own-towel policy. Yeah. And bring your own sports drink. Maybe, you know, like a, a Mick Ultra. That's real sports drinks, not there a you go. Gatorade Mick, shit. Mick Ultra is actually, it's the Gatorade of, of sports beverage, of, uh, of beers. 
that's that's it's very true. And you actually you did you did some combine drills last year after drinking a few Mick Ultras and I some did. Mad Dog. I did. I, uh, I let's see. I think I ran the Albert Hainsworth conditioning test after finishing off a full Mad Dog. And uh, that's right. And in between shuttle runs that I did, I pounded a, a Mick Ultra. And um, I have no idea how Hainsworth could ever fail that test because I was drunk as hell and I, I passed by like five seconds. I I feel like Dan Snyder owes you a hundred million dollars just on that. Is that how it works? <laughs> I think so. Don't you? I mean, you've had to suffer through all the RG three stuff. At the very least, you could. Steve, Stephen, are you there? Uh, Stephen had to drop out. Yeah, he yeah. Is, oh, is I'm he still? What's uh? What's the a common conditioning test that you had to do when you were a player? You know what? We actually did not have conditioning tests any year that I was in the NFL. And let me tell you about that. One year when I was with the Jets, my last year in the NFL, turns out, uh, I'm a seven-year veteran, and we got some in the mail saying we were supposed to have uh, conditioning tests, uh, the 300-yard the shuttles. Yeah. Yeah, I immediately called my position coach, <laughs> the head coach, the GM, like, are y'all serious with this? Because, uh, yeah, I don't really know. People understand if you don't specifically train for those – uh, 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 conditioning test, man, they could be, they, they, they could be very exacerbating, even if you're not Albert Hainsworth. So <laughs> I salute you for, for doing it after uh, a bunch of beers, but man, I couldn't do it. I, I was a little nervous. Yeah, when in, when during a normal game are you gonna run 300 yards? Look, if I do, we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember the last time even a running back ran. You know, even a forty-yard dash without stopping and asking for a new contract first. <laughs> yeah. PFT, all right. I have one last question for you. We got to wrap it up here. We're cruising on toward an hour and a half, and I want to make sure everybody has time to listen to the entirety of this gleeful podcast occasion here. How are you getting ready for the draft? I've been drinking more. Uh, uh, I've been. I, that's that, honestly, that's pretty much it. I've been I've <laughs> been eating a lot of pizza, preparing myself for Chicago. Uh, you know how when you like when the U.S. Olympic team goes to compete or the soccer team goes to compete uh-huh. in Mexico, how they have to acclimate themselves to the environment first. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's what I've been doing to acclimate myself to Chicago before I get there. I've been eating a lot of pizza and smoking a lot of cigarettes and drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> and uh, just kind of trying to get myself in that Chicago type of environment. I've been thinking about maybe like uh, trying to uh, tear my meniscus to get myself in a Derrick Rose type mindset <laughs> when I go up there. Um, but if you have any other suggestions, I'm I'm game for it because I'm trying to train hard before I get there. It's a it's a toddling town. We'll uh, we'll open that up to the the comment section. I'm sure we'll get some good ideas there. We'll we'll throw it out there to the uh, to the hive mind to get you some. Get you some Chicago tips to get you ready I, to go. I would grill a mustache, but I, I can't. I my mustache game is just not where it used to be. I don't know if it's like some sort of STD situation that you have where your hair <laughs> falls out. Um, it's not as good as it was. I'll put it that way. Not, I'm not trying to be gross or anything, but you know, you gotta have your shit together when you. If you're gonna uh, roll a must wear a mustache in Chicago. You gotta look like. I mean, you've been there before. You know what I do? Here's what I might do. I might just ferment my mustache because it's coming in kind of blonde right now. Uh, um, does that work? Does just ferment work on your face? I oh, wouldn't. Yeah. I have a full head of hair. I would never know. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go to the store and I'll, I'll just ferment my mustache <laughs> in preparation. If not, I've got a pretty good soul patch working right now, so I might just shave it down to the soul patch. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I, you know, I don't, not everybody in Chicago has. If you don't, if you can't get a good mustache, I think you'll still be. I think you can still fit in in the local culture there. So okay, I think you'll be all right. Good to know. Well, guys, it's been a great show all around. I gotta say, Danny, Stephen, thanks you, thank you for coming on. PFT, always a privilege to have you on the show. We're we're happy to have you, and please come back again in the near future. Yeah, great to talk to you guys. Next time, is it okay if I'm drunk? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Okay, I'll have to I'll have to do that then. You just you know clear it. You know, make sure you've got all the. We'll get all the the legal ramifications worked out that's what we that's what we call a teaser in the business tune in next week (laughs) and pft commentary will be drunk (laughs) that is a pretty good teaser that is a pretty good teaser (laughs) all right guys uh it's been real and uh we'll see you on the other side god bless all right thanks rvb all right thanks guys